I'm journalist Carolyn Osorio, and I invite you to join me and my co-host, Brandon Morgan, on our podcast, Criminal Mischief. From law enforcement officers seeking justice to victims' families seeking answers, every week there's a new case and a new victim whose story deserves to be told. New episodes of Criminal Mischief drop every Tuesday. Hello everybody, welcome back to another brand new episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I'm your host, Simon. Welcome to the show, what happens here. Uh, one of my writers today, Katie, has written me a script, The Irish Crown Jewels, The Theft That Was Never Sold. I'm going to read it. I've not read this before. I honestly didn't even know Ireland had crown jewels, let alone they'd been stolen at some point. So that's how much I know. I'm a small brain. I'm going to read this and then we're going to have a good time. I hope we're going to explore. And thank you, dear viewer or listener. Hey, if you're listening, why not leave this podcast a review? I see them trickling in. I love it. I mean, trickling. It'd be nice if it was a flood, wouldn't it? A flood of reviews. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> and hey, if you're watching this on YouTube, why not go do that anyway? I don't know, Simon, probably because it's a massive hassle. It's a pretty good excuse, to be honest. Let's just enjoy the show. Here we go. In 1907, what became known as the Irish Crown Jewels were stolen from their safe in a part of Dublin Castle called Bedford Tower. Worth millions, these diamond-packed pieces not only had historical significance for Ireland's most illustrious Order of St. Patrick, which was a real title. I'm not being sarcastic. Yeah, these are like old-school royal titles. It's like, most illustrious, your royal highness. It sounds very pompous today. And back in the day, I'm sure it sounded pompous as well, but if anyone said that, they'd chop your head off. So you're like, no, 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 it sounds like real modest. Illustrious is a, is a modest description of you, your highness, your most serene royal highness of all lords. Basically, God. Please don't remove my head. Fatality. Uh, they would be trotted out whenever the English monarch came over. The Order of St. Patrick itself was an extremely pro-unionist group, meaning that the jewels represented the link between Ireland and England. Ah, oh, okay, yeah, that's pro-union. I was like, pro-unionist. So they really want their employees to have unions, not different thing. While this story takes place in 1907, prior to the creation of Northern Ireland as a separate entity, it was still a time of political unrest with demands for land reform and unionist and nationalist movements starting to ramp up. So, while the story of the theft of the jewels plays out over this increasingly fraught historical background, politics may not be the sole reason as the motive for the crime. In addition, we have tales of hushed-up homosexual scandals, almost comic incompetence, and maybe just a bit of plain old greed. And because it's decoding the unknown, I'll throw in a bit of a curse for you at the end. Love those curses. Super relevant and real. And while you may have already guessed it from the title, this is still an active mystery as the jewels have not been recovered to this day. Alrighty then, let's go. Well, hold on a minute. I just want to say, like, all this cursed stuff is like, whoever has the cursed jewels has been cursed for eternity. I'll be like, can I get a discount on those jewels? Like, if there was a house that people were like, this house is haunted by, like, at least 11 ghosts, I'll be like, that sounds like a negotiating tactic, doesn't it? Because I feel like I could get some money off of that because also, I mean, and for nothing, because obviously ghosts aren't real. And then also I'd live in this house and people would be like, you live in the haunted house? And I'm like, yeah. I've never had any issues with ghosts because I don't believe in them. And the only reason I would have issues with them is because I believed in them. My kids will probably be living a terrified life because they'll be like, Dad, everyone says our house is terribly haunted. And I'll be like, ghosts aren't real. And they'll be like, I read on the internet that they're real, Dad. <laughs> I'm sorry, we'll actually do today's story. Here we go. 
When you hear the term crown jewels, you probably imagine a crown and various other fancy bits of jewelry. That's exactly what I imagine, Katie. Calling the stolen jewels the Irish crown jewels is a tad misleading, as technically, while they were in Ireland, they belonged to the crown, i.e. the monarch. And while jewels, they were not crown jewels, as you might immediately imagine. The media started calling them the Irish crown jewels after the theft was discovered, and while they were known as the lowercase crown jewels, in Ireland prior to this, their reason for existing was as, as blinged up new insignia for the Grand Master of the Most Illustrious Order of St. Patrick. Oh my god, who cares? <laughs> Super specific. These particular jewel pieces were commissioned in 1830 or 1831 by King William IV using some of his mum's old jewels that were just lying around in a drawer somewhere. As <laughs> I found a drawer of diamonds, old mother. What should we do with this? Let's put them in that other piece of gold that we found in the other drawer. <laughs> it's like super rich royal people. Holy sh**. This was from Queen Charlotte's jewel collection. Is it bad that I've never heard of Queen Charlotte? Where was she? Was she King William the Fourth? Oh my god, I've got no idea. My knowledge of this period of history is just so bad. We were making one about the Irish War for Independence the other day, and I was like, I know embarrassingly little about this. But I was watching it, and I'm like, I don't know, I just, I guess I never studied it. Which is quite bad, because it's like, that's quite an important part of history, isn't it? And it's relatively recent. Or it just, it seemed like the British were a bit, a bit kind of about it to be honest so this was from queen charlotte's jewel collection she had an absolute ton of the stuff including the arcot diamonds i saw some sources say that some of her jewels make up the british crown jewels today but that's not actually true in fact queen victoria was sued to hand back a lot of the jewels that she ended up with due to them apparently belonging to hanover which she was not the monarch over she had loved some of charlotte's pieces so much that she had copies made and these were ended up in the famous uppercase crown jewels collection and these probably weren't some knockoffs it's like no 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 yeah we'll just make exact replicas that ruby we'll just get a real ruby and we'll cut it in exactly the same way anyway the irish pieces were known as a star and a badge the star was an eight-pointed brooch covered in dark is that how you spell brooch brooch but it's got to be brooch right that's the sort of thing you wear with an emerald trefoil or shamrock and a ruby cross in the center the badge was attached to a ribbon and was oval in shape again set with many diamonds with the emerald trefoil 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 i don't know how to pronounce the word i'm not going to look it up i'm so sorry my interest in like specifics of jewelry is fairly minimal and ruby cross in the center both pieces always also had the motto of the order which was maybe somewhat ironically quis separabit or who will separate us picked out in diamonds along with 1783 the year the order was founded in roman numerals i don't know why the badge was called a badge when it was on a ribbon and the star was actually a badge that was pinned to the chest but there you go i guess that's why i'm not an expert in insignia <laughs> i'm like i'm so confused I'm like, I don't even know what these terms mean. I'm like, a trefoil, okay. In my mind, it's like a little bit, looks a bit like a tree, I guess. <laughs> At the top of the so-called badge was a harp under a crown and loop for the ribbon to go through. This is all set with diamonds too, naturally. In all, there were nearly 400 Brazilian diamonds on the pieces. Good Lord. Which police posters later described as being of the finest water. Which I suppose means they're extremely high quality. In 1907, it was estimated that the star was worth about £14,000 and the badge was worth about 16000 or nearly £1.8 million, and just over £2 million in today's pounds, or around $2.4 and $2.7 million respectively. Considering that the pieces were pretty small, that's a lot of value packed into a small package. Yeah, diamonds will tend to do that, won't they? <laughs> Diamonds are such a rip-off, though. It's all just artificial. I mean, not all artificial, obviously, natural diamonds. I mean, like, the market's artificial for diamonds. I made a video about this, and it's just like, it's basically a rip-off. 
it's just all kind of a big con. And then De Beers were like, yeah, I think this is more of an American thing, but they were like, you got to spend like a month's salary on a diamond ring for an engagement. Or th then they later changed it to two months or some shit like that. <laughs> I got my wife a diamond engagement ring. It was not two months salary. That would be insane. Whatever your income is, even if you're mate, it's insane. It's, it's insanely expect. Why would someone do this? Use that money, put a deposit down on a house. Buy some food. Literally do anything. Give the money to charity. Literally do anything. Why is that the third one on your list of things to do? <laughs> um, because I guess we need food and a house before we give our money away. It doesn't matter. What I'm saying is don't do that. It's insane. Please don't. Don't waste your money. Don't be pressured into it. And if your person you're engaging to is like, well, I, I really did want a ring that was worth two months' salary. You making the right choice there, mate? Are you? Are you? That's, that's, that's insane! The security arrangements. Okay, enough of that. Let's move on to where the jewels were when they were pinched. Ordinarily, the jewels were kept in a jeweler's in Dublin, but when the monarch was... Really? They didn't have some sort of, like, mega turbo raw family safe? When the Ronick was coming over, or some other ceremony was taking place, the jewels would be taken out and moved to Dublin Castle. Dublin Castle sounds like a place where crown jewels should be kept, not like Bob the Jewelers. This was considered a very safe place for them to be, as not only was it full of military personnel, the Dublin Metropolitan Police was also stationed there. I mean, how big are these things? You probably hold them in the palm of your hands. What are we doing? In a room in a section called Bedford Tower, did a man by the name of Arthur Vickers spend his days. He had an office in Bedford Tower, and to give him his full title, he was the Ulster King of Arms, Sir Arthur Vickers. This meant that he was in charge of genealogy and heraldry. Herald, her, heraldry. Why is that so hard to say? Which seems like one of those made-up job titles, which sounds impressive, which doesn't really mean very much. Wait, that does sound important. He's like the genealogist. He literally decides whether you've got royal blood and whether you should be like the lord on high or just like regular dirty peasants i mean it was probably more important in the past now they'll just be like well i'm sorry mate you got replaced with ancestry dna and speaking of ancestry dna this video is brought no it's not but that would be a great sponsor wouldn't it they were in the past they were my early sponsors back in the day i miss you ancestry come back oh actually wait i've got a conflict i just realized we're getting sponsored by another ancestry site soon <laughs> sorry ancestry dna you missed out yeah, you're probably crying over that one, aren't you? But apparently it was a cushy little number where he was in charge of inheritance laws and estate claims and stuff like that, I told you. Also tacked on today, he was charged with the safekeeping of the Irish crown jewels, a newly added responsibility to the position. It's like, what is this dude doing? It's like, what do you do? Well, I spend time looking through really dusty tomes to see who's related to the king. And uh, also I have to guard that brooch. What, what, what? You're Just have someone else do it who's maybe less librarian and more military dude with big muscles and a scary face. When the jewels were in Dublin Castle, they were put in a safe along with some things officially called collars, which were decorative neck chains like a mayor might wear, which were for knights of the Order of St. Patrick to wear during ceremonies. There are two keys to this safe, and the vicars had both keys, one that he kept on at all times, and another one that he kept at his house somewhere. The office of the Ulster King of Arms used to be in a different tower, but when vicars took over the role, he decided to move to Bedford Tower and also decided to create a separate strong room to keep the safe with the jewels in. See, this sounds like a much better place to keep your jewelry 
rather than in Bob the Jewel. It's like, yeah, for most of the time, it's kept at Bob the Jewelers, and the rest of the time we put it in a safe inside a safe room. That's, I mean, what's going on? If you're the thief, just rob it from old Bob's. Am I missing something? I'm probably missing something, aren't I? Because this seems like a dumb plan. This went very well until time came to move the safe into a newly fitted out strong room. The safe was too large to get through the door. Should have thought about that one, guys. Apparently it was too difficult, or there was too much admin involved in getting a new safe, and it was too much hassle to knock down a wall of the new room, so they ended up just putting the safe in the library of Bedford Tower, ostensibly until someone walked out, worked out what to do next. This was presumably a very strong safe, as there was no hurry to construct a new one or get a replacement. Vickers himself wrote a statute for the office of the Ulster King of Arms, stating that the jewels must be kept in a safe in a strong room, but he never actually ended up moving it. The library was also the waiting area of Vickers's office, meaning that people were coming and going through it quite frequently. There was a porter, also described as a sentry, stationed there to keep an eye on the jewels, but they were but there were multiple entrances into the library, and the point of the sentry seems almost entirely meaningless when you find out that he couldn't even see the safe from where he was stationed. This begs the question as to why he didn't move a bit closer, but I guess we'll never know, and to be honest, it just sounds like one more farcical element to the supposed security of the jewels. Supposed security? You'd... I could do a better job of protecting these jewels. What I would do is I'd get them, I'd shove them in a padded envelope, and I'd put them in like the back of one of my kitchen drawers, and they would be safer, because no one would think to look there. It was like that time the Hope Diamonds or whatever it was. There was a giant diamond. It came out of one of those mines in South Africa or wherever. And uh, they were posting it. They were, they were sending it back to England. And they were like, how are we going to get this safely back? It's the largest diamond ever made. And there was one option, which was, uh, you know, like a big courier with, uh, you know, ships and trains and armed guard and big safes and all of that stuff. So they did that. And then at the last moment, they just took the diamond out, popped it in a padded envelope and just mailed it in the postal service just back to the UK or wherever it was going to. I don't remember the details. But basically, and the, the whole armored convoy thing was just uh, just a distraction so that people wouldn't think to look through the mail where it was just in a padded envelope or whatever like historical equivalent was. Kind of brilliant, right? That was brilliant. The last confirmed sighting of the jewels was the 11th of June, 1907. It wasn't until the 6th of July that it was discovered that they were missing. In between those two dates were multiple cases of incompetence and lapses in security that might leave you scratching your head and wondering how the jewels remained safe for even that long. For example, there were seven keys to the tower building, and one day Vickers lost his, so he had to be let in by a policeman. The cleaner also had turned up a few days later to find the main door to the tower unlocked. Maybe these guys, it's a joke! It's like, how has this not been stolen yet? Moving inside the tower, the door to the strong room was found to be unlocked on at least two occasions, and one of these times, Vickers' key ring, which may or may not have had the safety on it, was left hanging in the lock of the inner door. Yeah, although, I, I, I think if someone was like, Simon, you've got to protect these jewels, don't leave your keys in the lock, I'd be a lot better than, like, the number of times my neighbour has been, like, rang my doorbell and be like, yeah, mate, your keys are in the door again, I'm like, oh, for f**k's sake. <laughs> it's like, the number of times I just seemingly open the door to my house, walk inside, and uh, just don't take the keys out of the lot, just leave them hanging there. It's high! I I've done it many times and I don't know why. I think I'm getting that brain disease. About a year ago, I kept forgetting <laughs> Like, I'd leave the house and I'd be like, oh, I forgot my, my office keys, I forgot my car keys, I forgot my phone, I forget my earphones, whatever, you know, all the stuff that I needed to take to work every day. And eventually I had to make a list, like some dementia patients. Like, so I'd have this little list by the door reminding me of what I had to take when I left the house. It was insane. I was like, what am I doing? And people would see this and they'd be like, what's up with that? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm just not very big brain. And then about, after about six months, I finally got rid of the list because I wasn't checking it anymore. 
and uh, got my shit together, and now I leave the house and I have all my things. I fixed dementia. You're welcome, world. The safe wasn't actually in the strong room, remember, but it's hardly a dazzling display of security by Vickers. He never really gave any explanation as to why he lost and left his keys all over the place, and didn't seem overly worried about it, so I guess the cleaner just sighed and carried on as normal. The king was also due to arrive on July the 10th, meaning that Vickers was quite preoccupied with that, and as long as people were handing keys back to him, he wasn't pursuing the matter any further. He didn't apparently check the safe during this period, and the porter was just hanging out in his blind spot and never noticed anything amiss, which you wouldn't if you couldn't see what you were supposed to be guarding. The porter sounds like he's got the best job in the world, so what do you do? Have to sit on this chair? I mean, I say it's the best job in the world just because you have to do nothing. In 1907, it was probably quite boring. But these days, I'll be like, can I have a laptop or an iPad with me or something like that? They'll be like, yeah, you know, or just don't let us see you. That'd be a great job. You'd watch so much Netflix. You'd also, after about 20 years, be like, what have I done with my life? But I don't know. Sometimes I work really hard and I'm like, that sounds so cush. It was on July the 6th that the cleaner had found the keys in the strong room door, and later that day, a delivery of a repaired ceremonial collar arrived from the jeweler. The porter, William Stivey, got the safe key from Vickers and went to put the collar in the safe along with the rest of the Order of St. Patrick Regalia. This was a breach of protocol in itself, as Vickers was supposed to be in sole charge of the safe key and shouldn't really have been handing it off to anyone else. When Stivey tried to unlock the safe, he had a bit of a brain fart as the key wouldn't turn. His confusion turned to horror as he realized that he had been trying to unlock the safe, but it was already unlocked. Uh-oh. That's one of those moments where you're like, uh-oh. He ran back to tell Vickers who rushed down to take a look and found the safe almost totally out. Uh-oh. You mean like, look at each other, it's like, we're f***ed. Don't we, mate? It's like, yeah, tell the porter. Oh, I'm sorry, one of these guys was the porter, wasn't he? Be like, let's just lock it and pretend we didn't see anything. When was the last time anyone looked in here? Ten years ago? Let's just not mention it. Let's just disappear. He ran back to Dovik as he rushed down to take a look and found that the safe was almost totally empty. According to an article on IrelandInformation.com by Sean Ivory, Vickers exclaimed, perhaps rather unnecessarily, My God, the jewels are gone. That sounds like embellishment. It's, uh, I don't know, being like why internet fact boy. You read these things and you're like, you know, sometimes the sources. And when they're not, you know, if they're not like historical documents or whatever, or, you know, properly re not prop not not properly researched but like there's so much embellishment and it's like he exclaimed this it's like no he didn't how could you possibly f know that <laughs> throwing some shade <laughs> just completely unnecessary <laughs> maybe he did maybe there's a record of this sorry now just before we get back to the show today i want to thank the big lie from audible for sponsoring it what is the big lie well john ham john ham as in Mad Men's Don Draper, as in also in that fantastic Black Mirror show, as in an absolute legend, leads an all-star cast in The Big Lie, a riveting new Audible original. The story takes place back in 1953 during the Cold War when hysteria spread throughout the country over the fear of communism. Ham in this Audible original, plays an FBI special agent called Jack Bergen, who's going to stop at nothing to shut down production of a film being made in New Mexico by three members of the Hollywood blacklist. A remote mining town becomes a powder keg of racial and political tensions during the production of the film, with the FBI lighting the fuse. I, I just... This, these are the copy points, obviously, but I'll just interrupt this to say that I love when they blend this sort of historical truth, especially in this time period, like Cold War, 
All of this stuff is super interesting. When they blend the truth with the fiction, it's just like, I love all of this stuff. The Big Lie is an explosive tale of conspiracy, betrayal, and temptation. This cinematic, audible original is presented in seven episodes with a lush, period-specific score by renowned musician David Mansfield and features top-notch performance, performances from a stellar cast. Cast also includes Kate Mara, Anna de la Riguera, Bradley Whitford, John Slattery, Giancarlo Esposito, and David Stratton. The Big Lie is created by John Mankiewicz. Visit audible.com slash the big lie, listen on Audible, and now back to today's show. Details of the crime. All right, let's take a look at the details surrounding the crime. I kind of want to call it a heist, but to me that word evokes many participants and some kind of flashy and elaborate plan. I think the way to describe this would be someone nicked him. It'd be just like someone just slipped him into their pocket. That's not a heist. That's a nicking. We have no real idea what happens here or when it happens, so it might just have been a quick piece of opportunism. It was the cleaner. <laughs> She's like, you keep leaving it open, and I really like that brooch. If it was a highly planned mission, we've never been given the benefit of the detail, so I can't judge if it reached high status in my book at least. Anyway, we know that the jewels were last seen by Vickers and another witness on the 11th of June. After that, Vickers lost his keys to the building at least once and left a bunch of keys out at least once again. There were only two keys to the safe, and experts later concluded that as there looked to be no damage to the lock, the one of the original keys had been used to open it, as opposed to uh, copy or use by force. These guys have clearly never seen the channel lockpicking lawyer that guy opens those locks and i always thought like until i saw that channel i thought like lockpicking was just busting open locks like you damage them that lock's not going to work again and this guy's just like bum, ba, da, bum, bum. he opens locks without a key faster than i open locks with a key it's crazy he's just like pop no challenge like big scary proper locks legends so what i'm saying is maybe someone like you know the, the the early 20th century version of him did this it's possible the two keys were both in vickers's possession one apparently on his personal times and the other in a drawer at his house the crime had also taken at least a few minutes to be committed while it's a job of seconds to sweep the contents of a safe into a bag the badge of the order of st patrick was attached to a blue ribbon which was the only thing left behind in the safe so what you might be thinking well the badge was attached to the ribbon by a clasp and the thief or thieves have actually unscrewed the clasp to remove it a job which would have taken several minutes also according to atlas obscura article by dan nosowitz all the paper and other cloth coverings etc had been folded and neatly replaced in their boxes clearly the thief had the time to do all of this and was confident about what they were doing the fact that the safe was housed inside a military and police department also pointed to an inside job or at least a suspect who roused no suspicion by coming and going from bedford tower this was definitely an inside job i mean not i'm like 90 what you got to agree with me listener viewer it's like 95 percent inside job right they have a key they fold everything up then there's, there's never any suspicion someone who worked there nicked it who it was we don't know so far maybe we'll find out maybe we won't this is decoding the unknown it is like a mystery channel I kind of hope we find out because I like knowing. <laughs> Vickers informed the police, and after a week or so of getting nowhere, Scotland Yard was called. Inspector John Kane, who was Irish incidentally, made his report and sent it to the Dublin police, naming who he thought was the perpetrator. So, what did he think? We don't know. The report was suppressed, and John Kane was recalled to Scotland Yard. Suspicious, yes. What we do know is that Kane was sure it was an inside job. I mean, you don't need to work for Scotland Yard to figure that one out, do you? So, were there any suspects to the biggest unsolved theft in the history of Ireland? Why, yes. Yes, there were. And they were all closely connected with the Ulster King of Arms himself, Arthur Vickers. Dun, dun, dun! The key players. It's nice to have friends, isn't it? And friends help each other out. 
right? And wouldn't it be cool if you could get your pal's cushy work numbers just like yours? You could hang out all day and have loads of fun. This seems to have been the setup at the office of Arthur Vickers. He had three assistants, or heralds, although I believe they may have been an honorary title as none of them were doing a 9-to-5 desk job in Bedford Tower. In fact, looking into it further, the positions were unpaid, so the heralds were doing it for the prestige. I guess boasting about being a herald could get you a bit further in 1907 than it could today, when many people might mistakenly think you were some sort of religious nut. Anyway, who were these people? I have no idea what a herald is. No idea. Never heard of it. I thought it was a type of newspaper. Like, I don't know. The London Herald. The first Herald was Pierce Gunn O'Mahony, or O'Mahony, I'm not sure, who was also Vickers' nephew, being the son of Vickers' half-brother. He belonged to an incredibly rich Irish family and had actually been with Vickers at his office when the theft was discovered. With the title of Cork Herald, he didn't really have to do much but pass a fair bit of time with Vickers at his office, perhaps excited over the novelty of technically having a job. Maybe because he was so wealthy already, suspicion doesn't seem to have fallen on O'Mahony and Vickers himself said that he wouldn't have known anything about it. Considering the lack of theories casting suspicion on his involvement that I found, I believe we can pretty much count him out. So, who were the other heralds? This dude, are we just counting out because he's already rich? <laughs> I mean, okay. Maybe he was rich from thieving. Francis Bennett Goldney. Here's a more suspicious character, Francis Bennett Goldney, basically flat-out asked Vickers for a job in his department shortly after meeting him in 1905. Bennett Goldney was a wealthy antiquities collector who eventually ended up as mayor of Canterbury. He did get his wish and officially gained the archaic and bizarre title of Althlone Pursuivant in 1907, mere weeks before the theft of the jewels. The title is all to do with heraldry and is named after the town of Althlone, but I don't really understand it and it all ties into the Order of St. Patrick. Good news, Katie. You don't understand it, and I don't care. That's fine. And that's fine. She's fine. Bennett Goldney, as well as having a sharp eye for precious things, was also allegedly a thief. Look, this guy's an antiquities collector. I feel like antiquities collector. If you're a thief, like a heist person, you go around like a cat burglar or whatever, you don't be like, yeah, I'm a thief. I'm a cat burglar. You'd be like, I'm in uh, antiquities collection. It's not a lie. If you took a polygraph, they'd be like, and uh, what's your profession? Antiquities collector. And they'd be like, ding, 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 green. You collect them by stealing. But it's not untrue. That's an allegedly not a fact. Actually, it's not an allegedly. It's a fact that he was a thief. After his death, missing manuscripts, other bits and bobs, and at least one valuable painting were found in his home. So could he have been involved in a crown jewels theft? Well, yeah, it seems entirely possible, doesn't it? Again, he was already a very wealthy man, which might point away from his stealing the jewels for monetary gain, but he took a trip to Amsterdam shortly after the crime, which could indicate that he sold the jewels into the hub of the European gem market. Wait, also, this guy's wealthy because he was a thief. <laughs> It's not like you became wealthy from being a thief and you're like, well, now that I'm wealthy, I can leave my thieving days behind me. No, you'd, you'd just be like, thieving treat me really well. So I just kept doing it. Being rich from thieving is not a reason for someone not to be suspected of being a thief. It's the opposite. As previously mentioned, the Heralds really didn't have much to do when Bennett Goldney was not around the office over the period of time that the crime took place, or at least he was not seen by anybody. So let's move on to the last and most suspicious Herald, Francis Shackleton. Whoa, this guy's not the most suspicious one. I was like, this Francis guy f***ing did this shit. That antiquities collecting thief. Was the Shackleton related to Antarctic explorer Ernest Shackleton perchance? <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yes, they were. They were brothers. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Did not expect that coming. This Shackleton, though, was known as a witty and charming socialite who had a big problem keeping hold of his money. He was also gay, which, although illegal at the time, seemed to have been a loosely kept secret. He was rich. 
and handsome and pals with upper classes in both england and ireland in fact he had connections with the king himself at the time moving in the same circles as edward the seventh brother-in-law the duke of argyll and when i say moving in the same circles i mean there were rumors that the duke and shackleton were lovers there you go that would have been you know this was back in the day but don't worry he's rich and handsome it's cool <laughs> you don't want to be a gay ugly peasant <laughs> that'll be a problem shackleton was also friends possibly with benefits with arthur vickers and even stayed with him whenever he happened to be in dublin he had the title of dublin herald of arms and not only had access to the safe key that was lying around in vickers house he even remarked that the jewels might have been stolen two days before they were discovered to have been taken he was also in a relationship with captain richard georges who had a scary reputation but as a military man would not have seemed out of place if he was spotted around bedford tower suspicion fell heavily on shackleton at the time due to his financial difficulties difficulties and access to the keys and the safe but he was apparently not in dublin during the period that the theft was carried out so that leaves perhaps the most obvious suspect i don't know i think this francis shackleton guy yeah he was having financial troubles but the previous guy was literally a guy who got rich by being a thief and he loved antiquities bennett goldmeat katie in my opinion is much more of a likely suspect arthur vickers was the ulster king of arms himself the thief he obviously had the time access and knowledge to carry out the crime the guarding of the crown jewels was not his official in his official job description and he'd apparently always done it begrudgingly as his pay hadn't been increased when the responsibility was passed on as we've seen despite the rules and regulations that he himself wrote the safe was not held in a strong room but was basically on public display in the library it later came out in stories that the cork herald pierce i don't know whether we can actually blame the thief for this can we it seems to be like the protection was so sloppy if a bank just has the cash just sitting on tables in their branches is it the thieves fault if if they take that money that's just chilling on that table i mean yes come on someone's got to get in trouble for this someone's gonna get burned at the stake this was the past maybe it could have happened it later came out in stories that the Cork Herald, which definitely sounds like a newspaper, but it's referring to this Pierce Mahoney dude, told a reporter that Vickers was a total lightweight and there were often boozy parties held in his office. In some media tellings, this came out as homosexual orgies, which was obviously embarrassing to all concerned and didn't cast Vickers in a great light. No, this was in the past. They'd be like, what's going on? Yeah, homosexual orgies was probably not a good look for this dude. I'm only denied this aspect of the parties, but did say that Vickers would get so drunk that he'd pass out and then his friends would play such prank as unlocking the safe and draping the contents on him <laughs> to find when he woke up <laughs> that does sound kind of funny though <laughs> it's like being a kid i remember a friend of mine passed out drunk some one time we just stacked you just stacked garden furniture on him and it's just like just didn't wake up <laughs> just pass out drunk brilliant these guys were like a fraternity there was also a story that the jewels had actually been stolen before by one of Vickers's friends and had been posted back a couple of days later. You might just wake it up at home like, oh man, last night was intense. I just wake it up and you got like this like mega expensive brooch just pinned to your shorts or whatever. You're like, oh no. Okay, I better give whatever his face is Vickers a ring. The fact that they didn't seem worried about the theft this time around may be pointing to him believing that it was just another prank. It does seem unlikely that he took them, and indeed, the overall feeling was that while it couldn't be proved that he was the thief, he was guilty of gross negligence and so ultimately culpable for the disappearance of the jewels. The official verdict was that Vickers did not exercise due vigilance or proper care as the custodian of the regalia. He, along with the entire Herald's office, were fired, and the investigation came to an end. 
I have to say, these guys sound like they're having a great time. It's like, so one guy gets a job and he basically just has to sit around guarding the stupid jewels. That's all he has to do. And he has the power to hire some of his rich mates who just come around and hang out in his office all day and get drunk. Be like, this sounds like a cushy job. The mysterious motives. Why do we think this crime was carried out? A couple of different theories have sprung up over the years, but as the whole affair was turned around to hinge on Vickers' dereliction of duty rather than solving the whodunit, there aren't too many clues out there. In fact, one of the theories goes that because of the whiff of potentially scandalous behavior coming from the likes of Shackleton, who could be linked, perhaps even romantically, to Lord Argyll, the king's brother-in-law, Edward VII, just shut down the whole thing rather than be publicly embarrassed. It had also been theorized that Shackleton and Vickers were secret lovers and cooked up the whole thing between themselves, counting on the fact that it would all be hastily hushed up to avoid a royal scandal. If so, my ingenious move, guys. This does make sense, although it is st that still doesn't help us with who actually stole the jewels, as no one was ever charged with the crime. Was it literally a crime of opportunity by one of the heralds? We don't know when the jewels were taken, and there's no CCTV or anything that could confirm if a shadowy figure slipped into, tower, into the tower one evening. It is unknown whether the heralds themselves had keys to Bedford Tower, but as we've established that Vickers lost his on more than one occasion, it might not have been hard to obtain a copy. During their late-night fun times with the contents of the safe, how difficult would it have been to also swipe a key or press it into a bar of soap made to get a copy made? That's how they do it in the movies, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not definitely not impossible. Of course, it's like they, they seem incredibly blasé with security, so all of this is absolutely open to me. All suspicions swirled around the heralds before the investigation was closed down, and the lack of damage to the lock and safe itself, along with the care taken in removing the jewels, does hint at a familiarity with the whole setup, and therefore also an inside job. It was definitely an inside job. There's no question in my mind that one of these guys just nicked it because he was like, f*** it. <laughs> no one's gonna know. It's gonna be hushed up. F yes. Maybe it was blackmail, Shackleton being particularly easy to pressure due to his financial straits and homosexuality. While he apparently had an alibi and was not in Dublin at the time, maybe his lover, Captain George's... Do you think he called him Captain Gorgeous? I hope so. I fucking hope so. I don't know how this is pronounced. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Uh, I just didn't mention it because I was like, let's just roll with it. Carried out the deed on Shackleton's behalf. Shackleton mentioning maybe the jewels have been stolen a couple of days before the discovery is suspicious if he actually did say it. Maybe it was to hurry Vickers into finally checking on the safe so Shackleton would actually have an alibi. The longer Vickers didn't bother, the more difficult it would be for him to confirm his timings. Of course, this is all total speculation and just one reason why the crown jewels might have been taken. Was it politically motivated then? As we mentioned at the beginning, Unionist National. Oh yeah, I forgot about this. No, it was one of these dudes. It was definitely one of these dudes. As we met, and I'm kind of like, <laughs> good for you. As we mentioned at the beginning, Unionist Nationalist tensions were starting to grow in Ireland, so the visit of the reigning monarch might have been a flashpoint. Maybe a nationalist group co-opted or blackmailed one of the heralds into stealing a key or even the jewels themselves in order to stick it to the monarch. Whether the jewels were then sold or just hidden somewhere remains unknown. A reward of a thousand pounds, which is over a hundred. £28,000 in today's money was offered, but no good leads materialized, and the jewels have never been recovered. And now, my favorite part of today's episode is it a curse? No! Conclusion. No, I'm just joking. I'll read the curse bit, Katie. Just because you wrote it, I paid you for the words. <laughs> so I'll read it. I realized uh, people were drilling through my walls a couple of, not literally through my walls, but they were like, I don't know, doing some construction in the. It's actually a, a pub next door, or like a, a wine place. And they, I don't know, they were doing some construction in there. And I kept complaining about the drilling through the walls. Maybe it wasn't on this show. And then I listened to it afterwards. 
and it could barely hear it. And I was just so impressed with this microphone because I'm like, idiot, it was loud. And then it's just like a barely, barely audible in the background. And I'm like, to me, it sounded like a pneumatic drill about two meters to my left. Crazy. Fascinating story, Simon. How about you get back to the curse? To wrap up, let's look at what happened to Ulster King of Arms and his heralds after this whole affair went down. It seems that a mysterious curse fell over the four men as at least three of them came to an untimely end. Antiquarian and quiet thief Francis Bennett Goldley died in a car accident in France during World War I. He was 53. Pierce Gunn O'Mahony died in suspicion. I love that this f guy's middle name is Gunn. <laughs> Holy sh! He died in suspicious circumstances in 1914. Apparently, rowing alone across a lake to a friend's house with a hunting shotgun in the boat, his body was found the next day with a shotgun blast to his heart. He was 36. Sounds like he just went out on a boat and just decided to kill himself. Francis Shackleton was declared bankrupt in 1910 and was eventually jailed for fraud a few years later. Upon his release, he changed his surname, moved in with one of his sisters, and apparently opened an antiques shop in Chichester. He is buried under his changed name of Frank Mellor. Arthur Vickers. Wow, Francis Shackleton, Ernest Shackleton's brother. What a life! Arthur Vickers was left disgraced and also without his pension. He was offered it, but felt such outrage in the way that it had been treated that he rejected it, presumably for moral reasons. He had always been a staunch unionist and carried on supporting British soldiers in Ireland into the 1920s, despite being warned that his activities made the IRA very suspicious of him. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why the IRA would be so, so we're very suspicious of that guy. Yeah, because he's, he's, he's actively pro-unionist. On the 14th of April 1921, he was taken from his bed by a large group of men who had broken into his home and he was shot to death. I wonder who did that. When his body was found, there was a note around his neck saying, Spies and informers beware, the IRA never forgets. Well, there was no doubt now. <laughs> he was 58. An extra bit tacked on at the end. Remember Captain Richard Gorgeous Georges? He fell on hard and alcoholic times after the crime and ended up killing a police officer during a drunken fight. While in jail, he tried to barter for his freedom with information about the whereabouts of the crown jewels. Nobody took any notice, but he was in the frame as a suspect, so would it have hurt to take a look where he was saying? He apparently did confess more than once to being the thief, but it sounds like nobody was really interested at this point, and in 1944 he died when he fell in front of a train. But again, it was unclear whether the circumstances were suicide, accident, or murder. He was 68. And in another pointing of fingers, Vickers himself laid the blame firmly at Her uh, Herald's door. In his will, which wasn't made public until 1976, long after his death, he accused everyone up to Edward VII of covering up the crime and named Francis Shackleton as having been responsible. So what do we reckon? Was this a political move in a country brimming with unrest? I don't think so. Was it a brazen theft which the perpetrators would have swept under the rug? Or did something completely different happen? All we know for sure is that Arthur Vickers was definitely a fault, whether intentionally or not. And there is still also the possibility that the Irish crown jewels are out there somewhere, maybe in an antiques shop in Chichester, just waiting to be found. Nah, they were like melted down and split up and recut and sold. For sure. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that's what happened to the actual jewels. But who did it it was just one of these dudes it was an inside job for sure i don't think it was politically motivated and he was just like oh, i'm just gonna nick that shit. no one seems to care done easy does it matter who it was no they're all long dead from accidents it's not real it's just how people die over time long time people die and also by accidents you know people, car accidents and shit much more common in the past thank you so much for watching this has been an episode of decoding the unknown as i mentioned at the start if you leave a review for this podcast it really helps if you're enjoying it thank you so much if you're watching on youtube hello please like subscribe all of that jolly good business and i'll see you next time
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.